0: You do realize that when people talk about being in love, it means so many different things to so many different people. I mean, I guess if you ask a 14-year-old who's having her first crush, you're in love? What does it feel like? Describe it to me. You might get a very different answer than from a 24-year-old and maybe even a very different answer from a 64-year-old. So is it something that we can identify? Is it something we can understand? And if so, why would it be important to do so? Well, the reason that it's important to do so it's because if you want to be loved, then it really helps to know how to love. Let's talk about that today. I'm joined today by the beautiful and talented Amber Nickel. I'm usually here with uh, Kimberly Holmes, who is also very beautiful and talented and, and also the CEO that I actually work for. Amber works on our team here, and we're going to be talking about love today. Amber, is that okay with you?
1: I'll let, I'll let that one slide. Yeah, <laughs>
0: It has to be okay with you. You have no choice at this yes, point. I have no point. choice. Okay. So you're a young woman, but I want you to kind of flash back to when you were a teenager, which okay. wasn't that long ago. And think about the first time you thought you were in love. Okay. to Try okay. to remember that. Okay. okay give me a first name. What's his first name? Ah, okay. You don't have to say his first name if that's going to cause a problem.
1: Uh,
0: Eric. Eric. Okay. So tell me what you thought love was. But first of all, how old were you?
1: I was 16.
0: 16. Yes. So describe from your 16-year-old perspective, as best you can remember, your understanding of love at that point. What it felt like, what it was, what it meant. Anything you can remember. Oh,
1: um, a roller coaster. Um, I felt, it was like a high, a constant high. And it nothing really could get in the way of whatever I was feeling. Whatever mm-hmm. I was having at school or at home or with my siblings. It was this person gets me and that's all that mattered. Mm -hmm. At that point in time.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: it was just complete euphoria. Euphoria. And
0: what percentage of your waking hours do you think you spent thinking about him? Too many. (laughs) Too many (laughs) hours. Take a guess. Um, Percentage-wise?
1: Probably at least half of my day.
0: At least half of your day. And if I may ask, because we actually have a point to all this, believe it or not, what kind of things would you think
1: well, at the time, it was the summer, and so we were constantly making plans of what our date nights were going to be, and mm-hmm. um, introducing him to my family. and mm-hmm. Are they going to like him? Or are they going to accept him? And mm-hmm. it was just things like that. It was just kind of what felt like I was planning the future was just really planning
0: mm-hmm.
1: for a, week out, a and,
0: week out. And you were convinced that he loved you. Convinced. Mm-hmm.
1: I have I have diary entries. Stating
0: <laughs> and if we were to read one of those diary entries, what kind of thing would we read?
1: how I felt about him.
0: Okay. But how did you know he loved you?
1: Well, now looking back, I didn't.
0: Okay. But how did you think you knew that he loved you?
1: Because he understood me. He heard me. He listened to me.
0: Mm Hmm. Okay. Now during those, um, half the time thinking about him, how much (laughs) of that was daydreaming about the future?
1: Probably most of it.
0: Okay. It was
1: never really about the present. It was what was to come.
0: What was to come? What was to come tomorrow, next week, next year, 10 years? How far?
1: Probably just getting to the homecoming dance.
0: (laughs) But it was summertime. (laughs) I get the homecoming dance was over. So the next year. Yes,
1: for the next year. Next year or something like that.
0: Okay. Now, is that love?
1: It felt like love.
0: Okay. That's actually a very wise answer. But it is a kind of love. Correct. And when we look at that we say, okay, if we're going to try to understand what love is, some of the things that Amber just talked about actually are parts of love. Now understand in the social sciences, we can identify tons of different kinds of love. Well, tons is the wrong word, but at least several different kinds of love because there's a kind of love, believe it or not, called empty love. There's a kind of love called companionate love, even a love called fatuous love, which means an illusion. It appears to be real, but it's not. We have talked about on this program, a kind of love called limerence, which is not our topic for today. Today, we're going to try to understand if you want to be loved, then understanding how to love actually makes a difference. Now, let me ask you a question. Why? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm catching you off guard. Why do you think I would make this statement? Why does it make a difference? If I want to be loved, I really need to have some comprehension about how to love. What do you think I mean by that? I'm asking because I, we I didn't I, I didn't prep Amber for any of this, None. so we're, just we're coming on the fly totally here. off the cut. Yes. <laughs> okay, and that's what I wanted. I wanted kind of a, a spontaneous response.
1: Oh, We are going to get that.
0: <laughs>
1: um, so to understand love, or to think to understand love, when I was when I thought I loved Eric, mm-hmm. I, but I was putting my view of what love looked like or should look like back on
0: him. Uh-huh. That is very perceptive, very insightful. So what then if my perception of love is some kind of, uh, uh aberration, and I don't mean to use such a, a tough mean word, but, but my perception of love is something that has been shaped and affected by the people around me so that most people in my world would look at me and go, I don't know if I want that kind of love. Do you think that then affects how I project love to the other person and how I expect love from the other person.
1: Absolutely. Good, in, good intentions don't always produce good results. Okay. And so in, in demonstrating what love should look like or feel like and to be reciprocate it, Yes.
0: That okay. Now I want to talk about positive things. I really do, but I'm going to start with a relatively negative example of this. Okay. So let's suppose that a person then, uh, let's it's a girl since this would be probably more applicable to be a female and, and she feels rejected by her mom. She feels rejected by her dad and, um, pretty well left out, not understood, not listened to, not cared about, like nobody gets me. And the first guy that comes along that pays some more attention to her, she responds very strongly to that just because of the fact that somebody did and then what if he somehow convinces her and it might not be that difficult to do, but somehow convinces her that that what makes her lovable is her sexuality. And then after a while he leaves her, what kind of thing do you think that might set up for her future love interests?
1: Well, I mean, it just establishes her, her, her way of operating in future relationships. Um,
0: and that I'm going to be loved only if I'm if sexual. I operate. Yeah. If I, I okay. Operate in this and, way. and if I'm not getting enough love, I become more sexual. Right. And if I get rejected, then there's something wrong with the other person, but there's probably also something wrong, wrong with, with me. me. Absolutely.
1: Hmm.
0: And so we can see, and I, and I apologize for using such a negative example, but it's, it's a fairly easy one to see that a person can get, a view of love that comes back to the only way I can be loved is if I am meeting some criteria that the other person sets, whether that's being sexual, whether it's being more intelligent, whether it's taking care of my body better. So Amber, a few years ago, I wound up working with a couple and, uh, they, they came to see me. I'm just going to give the gist of the story, but basically it went like this. Uh, he said, she's obese. She mm-hmm. needs to lose weight. I am a physician. He was a physician. And therefore I know it's not a medical problem that she could do this if she wanted to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm very unhappy about the fact that she does not to which she replied, I'm not going to lose weight to make you love me because if I lose weight to make you love me, then it's going to be some other criteria and some other criteria and some other criteria. And I'm never going to be loved just for who and what I am. It's always going to be, I have to earn it in some fashion. And I'm done with that.
1: Right.
0: What do you think about that?
1: Oh goodness. Well, my, my uncle actually wrote a song called, I can't make you love me.
0: That's as a matter of fact, I know your uncle and that is, I'm one of the best songs on the planet. <laughs> it's been covered by like 50 different has, artists.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, Was it
0: Barney Wright that did the first yes. version?
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome um, song. Right, right. I'm sorry. I got you off topic. No, I just like okay. your uncle. No,
1: but no, and he wrote that song and, and knowing what that story came from, um, it, it breaks my heart. But at the same time, while I do agree that you can't make somebody love you, you can change how they perceive you. They, you can change how they perceive the relationship or potential relationship.
0: Okay. Now, if it's not kosher, then tell me that. But you say knowing the story behind that song, yeah. can is that tellable?
1: Yeah. So, um, the brief version is that my uncle was actually reading um, an, an article in the newspaper And um, it was talking about a gentleman who was going before a judge and his wife had filed for divorce. He didn't she didn't want to be in the marriage anymore. And he essentially was telling the judge that he was how much he had lost and how much he all he wanted was his wife back. And he just said, you know, I can't make her love me. And that was that was the short version of of what kind of inspired the song, Hmm. which is tragic. But that's how many so many people out there feel. That's how I felt even when my husband was gone.
0: Okay. So you guys went through a little struggle in the past. So without going into all the story, what do you mean by that? You tried to make him love you?
1: What I thought was trying was actually pushing him away. But yes, I was trying to get him to love me again, to accept me.
0: By doing what? Briefly?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, at first I was writing him apology letters. I was telling him how much I understood his pain, how much pain I had created him, and I was accountable for what I had contributed mm-hmm. to the marriage. Um, but me really smothering him, even though I had good intentions, it really just kind of stifled him in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I had to kind of take a step back, but.
0: So it was like, if I just say the right words or do the right thing. If I
1: just say, if, if I can just have this one conversation or if he just reads this one sentence, he's, mm-hmm. I know he's gonna hear my heart. That mm-hmm. was what I kept thinking
0: hmm We run into that a lot. There are people who sometimes will just go on and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's the very thing. Like eventually I'll stumble across the right, right phrase, the right word or the right tone of voice. And, and it might be, I'll just talk about all kinds of things and, and hopefully finally you'll oh, have that aha and you'll love me. Or sometimes they become very uh, self-disclosive. Let me tell you all about me. And so tell a good things about me, here are the wonderful things about me, thinking if I tell you enough good things about me, you're going to go, wow, what an amazing person you are. I need to be in love with you or, or enough negative things about you. Like I was treated badly when I was a child. This terrible thing happened to me. That bad thing happened to me thinking, oh my goodness, I'll hit that sympathy button at some point. And finally he or she'll realize, oh, you poor thing. How could anybody ever abandon you? I love you. And so they're, they're overly being self-disclosive is thinking somehow, somehow I'm going to trigger something that makes you love me. Now, all of these things are a way in ways that people try to be loved, but typically it's because what they think that's what love is, that it's responding to something in the other person that earns the love.
1: Absolutely. Is that true? I don't know if it's true, but that's how they feel.
0: <laughs> you should be a politician. You, <laughs> My husband <laughs> says that, a
1: lawyer a politician.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you do well at either one. So, let's. If, are people responding to us yet? Are they making any comments or questions or any kind of thing there? Um, if so, is there anything yet that they have brought up or said based on what we're talking about you think would be apropos to bring into this discussion at this moment?
1: Not yet. We have some questions, but not, not on this topic. So we'll hold them for later. Okay.
0: Okay, So let me ask you a question then. If you're one of the live uh, viewers, then if you will type in what you think love is and also type in things that you expected Mm. when it came to love turned out not to be reality or things that you tried to give the other person that he or she then, rather than reacting positively to like, don't you say I'm giving you love? Mm -hmm. They were like, I don't feel love about this at all. Because we want to start getting into specifics in a couple of minutes. I know we've been talking kind of generically so far, but we're going to be talking about what love really is. Now, again, because there's so many different kinds of love, we're going to have to kind of identify what that means. So we're going to be talking about a love that in the social sciences would be deemed consummate love, consummate love. That's um, a love described by a fellow by the name of Sternberg, who is an amazing researcher. And when Sternberg talks about consummate love, he talks about love that incorporates or encompasses at least three areas that wind up creating this very fulfilling relationship with the other person. As a matter of fact, Sternberg has been so good at this, at describing it, writing about it, etc., that he actually developed uh, this little, it's not exactly a test. It's more found of a survey where you can measure how much of these three components that you feel toward another person. Interestingly, Amber, it, it, he actually designed it where you can test in two ways. The first thing is like, There was 45 questions. Okay. And in these 45 questions, you rate on a scale of one to nine about how true it is. Right. And the first time you go through, you rate it on how important it is to you. Mm -hmm. So you look at the first statement on a scale of one to nine. How important is that to you? Second statement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you go through all 45. Now that actually creates a triangle. We call it the triangulation of love. Right. Then he goes, go back through it again now and say how much of this you really actually have. It's kind of interesting because you can actually profile this out and draw the triangle of what they want, what they expect, and then the triangle of what they have. Right, the reality. And, and when you do that, you start seeing what they're missing, what they're lacking. Now, as we've demonstrated, and I hopefully demonstrated by asking Amber about her um, teenage experiences. If you have a different concept of love than what we're about to describe, it's because there are many different kinds of love. And if you've been trying to make somebody else love you, then that's probably not going to work very well here either. So let me describe, and I'm not going to talk about it for a couple of minutes. Let's describe the kind of love that Sternberg calls companionate love, what it is, the various components that go under it. And the kind of love that if you really want a good long-term relationship, it's the kind of love that you want to develop and it is developed, Amber. It doesn't just happen.
1: I've learned
0: the hard way. <laughs> okay. But, but you know, if you watch the movies and if you listen to some of the music, etc., etc., et cetera, it's like, it just happens. It happens. Right. Wow. And you have no control over it. It's just this magical kind of thing. Absolutely. Now I actually wrote a book about a thing called the love path, which actually describes in more detail than we'll go through today, how, how people actually process into this kind of love. I remember once uh, working with an architect who was married to an engineer. So they were both very systems oriented people. And I never forget what she, the architect, she said to me when we got through explaining all that, she said, I thought it was magic, but I'm a systems person. I understand systems. That's what architecture is. And, and you just showed me it's a system that it develops as you do certain things. She didn't much like the fact that I took the magic out of the picture, but it is really the way it works. Now, I know you keep looking over there. Has anybody said anything we need to respond to first before we go into these three components of companionate love?
1: Well, just a couple of things. You had asked earlier what people thought love Excellent, was, great. and so somebody said love is suffering. Somebody also- Love been- is suffering? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, okay.
1: Yes. And then somebody had also mentioned sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. Okay. And um, then some people also had some follow-up questions on my story, which we can get to another time.
0: Well, if, if you want to tell a little bit of your story right now, as we go into this, we can illustrate with it. That's up to you.
1: Yeah, we can illustrate with it. My husband's an open book, so I have full permission to share. It's okay. Well,
0: go ahead and tell okay. them what we're talking about. So
1: some of y'all are probably familiar with my story, um, as we've talked on the phone in the past, but um, about uh, four years ago, um, my husband was actually having an affair. We had two small children at home. We had a three-month-old and a one-year-old, and um, we were just in the, in the throes of parenthood. And it was a season of life that was exciting, but also extremely overwhelming. And, um, my husband went to work one day and gave me, or yeah, went to work one day and gave me a kiss and came home that night and said, I found someone, she makes me happy and we love each other. He ran out of the home and did not return for a year. And it was a very contentious year. Okay. Um,
0: well, let's, let's stop and ask your question. Yeah. You mean he found her that day?
1: Well, that's the joke I always make. I go, yeah, in 12 hours, he, you know, found this, this new uh, partner in life. But right. it had been going on for probably about a month or two.
0: Okay. And that was the day he chose to tell you about it.
1: Yes, that was the day that he chose to tell you it. But he
0: gave you a kiss that morning. So at least he was going through some of the motions emotions, yes. of being a husband. Absolutely. And so he least for a year. What made it contentious?
1: <sighs> well, I, I, for one, I was pushing. You know please come back. I love you. The children need you. We need you. and
0: um, and for those of those who are familiar with our what we teach, that typically just pushes the other person. Oh,
1: it was I was going everything against what smart contact teaches.
0: Yeah.
1: and and so I just pushed him away, um, not not intentionally, because again, I had good intentions. I understand. but like I said, good intentions don't produce good results. So he was angry. I wasn't giving him a space. He didn't feel heard. I kept saying, I love you. And he kept saying, you don't hear me. I'm telling you, I don't love you. Why do you keep saying that back to me?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was that was a big part of that.
0: Okay. Then what happened?
1: So um, we were honestly going back and forth in court and, and just fighting over custody and money and assets and, and things of that nature. And for 10 months, I kept approaching him and saying, go to this workshop. I found this workshop. They saved three out of four marriages. And he just kept saying to me, you aren't hearing me. You're not listening to me. There's nothing that I want with you. We have these children and, and we're going to draw the line there. And after 10 months of going to the workshop, he finally agreed.
0: Okay. And during the 10 months, I think that you had kind of developed a friendship with uh, one of our plant representatives here, Johnny Cardwell, is that correct? That is correct. How often did you talk to Johnny?
1: Well, unfortunately for Johnny, I probably called in every week. Um, and he was directing me to the different resources, the Facebook page, the online resources. And that's Mm -hmm. what I uh, initially utilized. Mm -hmm. Um, and I say, unfortunately for Johnny, just because I kept calling in and, and he, but he was such a great place of strength Mm -hmm. and just kind of gave me this peace and assurance that, you're going to navigate this. What the outcome may be, we don't know, but you will navigate this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I really needed at the time. And he provided that. Okay.
0: All right. And you guys came to the workshop. And I remember you coming to the workshop because I knew a lot of your story by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny had told me a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember I was prepared not to like your husband. Yeah. I was mad at him yeah. because he caused you so much pain. But unfortunately in the workshop I liked him anyway, even after all the stuff he had done. So it was I was having mixed emotions Motions toward about this it. guy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: No, so when we had attended the workshop, um the, the legal process of the divorce was not slowing down. Um he was still in the affair with the other woman and he went under the condition of I said, look, if you go to this, I will I'll expedite the divorce. Um and I was going for a Hail Mary and he was going for aspects of communication and conflict resolve because he did see the value and us at least being good parents to our children um, and and so for that reason he attended and I'm grateful because at that point there was there was very limited contact um, mm-hmm. at, you know besides the pickup and drop-off of the children so he attended the workshop um, with one intention of, of going to just sign the divorce papers but mm-hmm. he actually left the workshop with with a complete change of heart
0: in just three days
1: in just three days. And it wasn't this magical moment of, I love you, and I can't believe I ever put you through this. But we were sitting in the parking lot, actually. After the workshop, we would given a hug to you and Kimberly and everybody else, and I just asked him his opinion. It wasn't necessarily, what's your feedback on the marriage, but the workshop. And he just said, I see value. I see value in, in our family. I see value in building our life together again. Mm. And that's that's where it all started.
0: Awesome. Uh, For people that sometimes ask about our workshop, they say, well, is it a parenting workshop? And the answer is it's not, but because the principles we discuss in the workshop are so applicable to every meaningful relationship, you will learn how to co-parent better. I mean, you really will, if, if you decide to come to the workshop. And so typically in the first morning we point out, look, it's a marriage workshop. We'll be talking about marriage, but every once in a while, we'll stop and say, can you see how this applies to your children? Because it really is about relationships. And so people have really gained a lot about parenting skills and particularly co-parenting, even if they're going to wind up splitting up. And so they come as John Lewis did, to the workshop for that reason. And they can get it, but we don't want to fly into false colors. It's not a parenting workshop per se. Correct. Absolutely. It's, it's a marriage workshop. All right. So let's go ahead and talk to these three components and let's talk about them in terms of you and then in terms of John Lewis okay. and et cetera. Okay. Let's briefly describe the three components that Sternberg identified and that can yes. be measured in this triangle thing, right? One is what he calls commitment. Now in terms of commitment, and you say commitment, I mean, I thought we were talking about love. Yes. But we're talking about the kind of love. Remember a lot of different kinds of love. We're talking about the kind of love that, that can last a lifetime and hold two people together in a relationship that's meaningful and fulfilling and all those wonderful things. And commitment then is made on a continuing basis. And it's a decision to do whatever it takes to keep the relationship alive. So that's what commitment is. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep the relationship alive. And and when I say made on a continuing basis, it's not like you wake up every morning and go, "Mm." although sometimes people do (laughs) it's, it's still a thing that even if you stood in front of an officiant at some point, a rabbi, a priest, a minister, justice of the peace, whomever, and, and you said until death do us part, which interestingly is not part of the marriage vows with many people anymore. They don't put that in there anymore. But if you made such a vow as that, um, it still doesn't mean that somewhere down the line, you won't go, "Mm, no, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that anymore. Like
1: Like John Lewis, I'm done.
0: I'm out, walk out the door.
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: So commitment. Now we'll come back and talk more about commitment in a minute, but it's, it's, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep the relationship alive. Then there's a thing called intimacy and intimacy has to do with openness and transparency and vulnerability. It's like, uh, well, as one lady in Texas said to me many years ago, uh, if you say it slower, you add it. Into me see. And that's where we do suggest people be uh, self disclosive not overly so like I described earlier in the program and where people do talk to each other, communicate, understand because this is where I, I share what I think, what I feel. You share what you think, what you feel. But the intimacy is not just the fact that I can tell you what I think or feel. Intimacy has to do with the fact that you hear it. And even if you don't like it, you accept that that's what I think or feel. Because it's extremely rare in life that any other human being is always going to think what you want them to think, or feel what you want them to feel, or believe what you want them to believe, or to do what you want them to do. If you don't believe that, if you have kids, just look <laughs> at one of them, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Cause they're, they're not always going to meet that criteria. So the intimacy has to do with the fact that we can be open and transparent with each other and accept the other person, even the little pieces that I don't like. Now we'll come back to that in a few minutes because it does not mean you always accept what the other person does. Mm-hmm. Not always, but in a general picture here. And then the third one is, Passion. Do you remember how we defined or describe passion? I don't. <laughs> I know what I think it is. Please, please tell us what you think it is.
1: <laughs> I have such a, a limited comprehension of what passion is, but when I think about it, and at least for my definition, it's constantly fighting for, not fighting against mm. your spouse um, or for your family. Um, but that's just the way I think about it especially I think because I was so on fire in the year that my husband was gone, that I had such a passion. That's mm-hmm. the way, that's the way I associated: is fighting some, for something.
0: I would not disagree with that. If we're going to look at, uh, and interestingly, Amber, and someday we, maybe we'll talk about this. Uh, Sternberg also has a triangulation of hate
1: mm.
0: and, and the passion part of that is more like what you were just describing about fighting against. Mm. So, it's actually a triangle that I love. And if you look at the a complete flip flop of it, it is um, triangulation of hate. hate. But as he would define, as he would define passion, passion would be a craving for oneness. What that means is now it has a sexual dimension, but it's not, really so much about sex. It has to do with, I, I want to be with you. I want to share my life with you. I want to watch the sunset with you. Uh, I want to hold hands with you. I want to miss you when you're not in the room. I want to think about you when you're off at work, that kind of thing, comment a craving for oneness, not the kind of infatuation thing we talked about when you were 16 years old. Right. right. Okay. I can understand that. But that does have some similarities. It, it's not that same level and it's not obsessive. In other words, in a good strong, um, love that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not that I'm spending half of my time thinking about the other person because there are other things in life to do. I've got a job or I'm going to do this, or I've got this over here. I mean, I need to do with my mom or whatever it might be. And so you're not spending 50% of your time obsessing about this other person, but it does mean that you do think about them and that you do miss them when they're not there and you enjoy sharing life with them. Uh, I watched a couple in our workshop we just finished, and occasionally I throw in a little joke or two here or there. Actually, I don't tell many jokes. Let me clarify that. Uh, a joke is like a humor that you make up, right. but both Jim, who, uh, Jim and I both did that workshop together, and I tell stories, and sometimes parts of the stories are funny. That's true. You know, just because they are. So that's not actually a joke. It's humor, but it's not a joke. And and this couple was sitting right on the front. And interestingly, every uh every time punchline's the wrong word, but when I got to the line that, that was humorous, they would turn and look at each other.
1: It had that moment of
0: mm-hmm. he's like, We t- we just shared that. Yeah. That's what he's talking about when he talks about passion. I want to share life with you. Uh, I want to watch that sunset with you, I want to hold a hand, it's et cetera, et cetera. And like I said it does have a sexual dimension, but it's much deeper, it's much beyond sex. Okay. So that's not totally inconsistent with the level or or description of passion that you gave. Now, as I said, we can actually measure all three of those things on a scale of one to nine. we can measure how strong is your commitment? How strong is your intimacy? How strong is your passion or to what degree are those things lacking? And you might understand that if we were measuring a husband and a wife, if they're actually doing pretty well together, those triangles are going to come out fairly similar, usually, not always, but when they're in conflict or when they're in some kind of trouble, they would be very different triangles. And so if we had measured you and John Lewis Mm -hmm. the day before Mm -hmm. he came home and said, I found somebody else. I'm out of here. Probably your triangle would have been pretty full. Probably. No,
1: well, I know the intimacy side of it in terms of him feeling that he could share things with me. There was, there was a lot of stress, mm-hmm.
0: but I'm talking about what you felt.
1: Oh, what I, fe- oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I
0: mm-hmm. was, but if we had measured him, yeah. then that triangle wouldn't have been as full. I
1: don't think there would have been a triangle, but yeah. Well, it's always a triangle because <laughs> it's always has
0: three points. It might be over here. the yes. triangle. But it's always a triangle. And so you say his intimacy would have absolutely. been because what?
1: There was. There was a lot of stress in our marriage in terms of our son's health um, and, and things like that. And so I was becoming very resentful towards him, to be honest.
0: Resentful and toward John Lewis, your husband? Towards
1: John Lewis. Um, Why? If may unrealistic me ask. expectations. It, to be a husband and a father and a provider, and it, it was something that I... All these stresses that were coming into our life that really weren't in his control. But I was looking at somebody going, somebody fix it. Somebody fix the situation. And he couldn't not that he didn't want to but he couldn't but because i had such unrealistic expectations i started blaming him mm-hmm. and he just started kind of going away and going away and going away because
0: it's like i can't yeah. live up to what you expect
1: yeah i can't live up i can't live up to what you expect and you're not hearing me because he was also hungry for the same things he wanted peace he wanted happiness he wanted stability um, especially with our son's health and but we just we kind of were enemies at the time, mm-hmm. but we were fighting for the same thing, but we were fighting each other.
0: Did you know you were enemies? Did you know you were enemies?
1: Not in the midst of it, okay. but the moment he left, it was just kind of boom. boom. Absolutely.
0: Okay. You know, sometimes when people feel secure in a relationship, um, we really don't hear the other person because it, it's so much about the pain that I feel right now so much about what it is that I'm aimed at right now that I don't hear the other person and don't understand the import, of how things can really go south because I'm not hearing the other person because we just assume or anticipate at least that he or she's going to be there. And because we anticipate that he or she's going to be there and we're not really listening to what he or she is saying, we, we tend to get more focused on our pain, our pain. And then we have that, aha, that, that wake up moment when like, Oh my goodness, look what's happening here? Let me throw in a little thing extra here and see what you think about this.
1: Another wrench. I'm sorry. I said another wrench. Let me, <laughs> Dr. Beam's up to something again.
0: Well, it's the kind of thing that maybe we need to do an entire program about at some point, okay. but let me just kind of introduce it now and see what you think. You know, we, we talk about in our workshop, the fact that, uh, that when people are standing next to each other, when they get married, when you say I do, you think you are to have all this great life together, but then to some degree life just kind of pulls you apart. Well, because you might have a career like, you know, he's pursuing his career, she's pursuing her career or, whatever are the things that become busy things for you. And, and he's going one direction and she's going the other direction. And when we talk about that, we talk about, you know, at some point you can get pulled so far apart that, that you have little to nothing in common. You don't get there overnight and you don't even begin to realize how far apart you are until one day you just have to wake up and see it. But there's a second part of that. And that's what I want to ask you about. You know, the goals we have, the aspirations we have, can actually pull us apart. Now it's relatively easy to see. If you're talking about a career. Okay. Okay. For example, uh, I want to be the rock and roll star and you want to be the housewife. Okay. okay. If, if that's the case, then, then my being gone and doing concerts all across the world and blah, 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 And you're home with the kids, et cetera, et cetera it, Our actual aspirations, the dreams right. we chase can pull us apart. Right. Now, People can see that. Yeah. Let's go back to the kid. Okay. Particularly when you have a kid that has some um, medical issues. Okay. All right. You, your aspiration, your dream for your son,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who by the way is this awesome little kid. I'm You're, partial,
1: but I tend to agree.
0: He really is. He's an awesome <laughs> little kid. Your dreams and aspirations when it comes to his health, mm-hmm. I'm assuming were that he somehow get well, Absolutely. but can you be more articulate or more specific about what your dreams were?
1: At the time, um, For for those watching, um, my son was born with a liver disease, and we always knew that he was going to need a liver transplant, but the question was always when. Um, What is his, what is the specific course um, of care? And with his syndrome, there was just so many variables to what we could pursue. And with my husband's background um, in the medical profession, he did have this wisdom. He did have this uh, insight that I did not have, Um, but then I also had that mama's intuition. And so there was just a lot of push and pull of, well, I, I see this in the hospital setting. I, these are the type of patients I take care of and I'm coming at it of just pure feeling and emotion. And even though we were both coming from a place of love, it, it Mm -hmm. was pulling us apart.
0: Mm -hmm. Because what do you think his expectations were? I don't know he wanted your son to get well as well, but what were the differences in your aspirations about your son? How did they vary? Let me see if I can explain it this way. Okay. I watched, I recently talked to a couple where that her goal, his goal, this guy was a very driven I'm going to make it happen kind of guy. And their son has some severe uh, medical problems and his goal was I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep him alive as long as we can possibly keep him alive. That's my goal. Her, now she wanted him to live as long as possible too. That was not, not a goal. But for her, it was about the quality of life he lives while he lives. Like, I want him to feel loved and and happiness as much as he can enjoy and et cetera, et cetera. Now, while it seems like those are two very compatible goals, and if done correctly, they really are, for them, they became incompatible goals, incompatible dreams, aspirations, because he was so focused on the survival of the child that he would neglect the quality of life of the child. She was so focused on the quality of life of the child, she would react sometimes negatively negatively to his things that we want to do to extend the life of the child. And so while it appeared they had the same goal, the subtleties were so far apart that it actually was pulling them apart.
1: And that was exactly John Lewis and I.
0: And which was which?
1: John Lewis was the long-term care of Wyatt. And while he cared about the immediate of of how he was feeling and acting but it was the long term and mine was i'm going to fix this right now he's not going to hurt he's not going to feel uncomfortable um what are we going to do whatever it needs or whatever needs to be done in this moment and, like, and is that been,
0: when you were making the demands on john lewis that he couldn't fulfill absolutely like you need to do this and of course here he is particularly because he's trained in the medical field absolutely going I can't. I don't know how. And you're frustrated because he's not. And he's saying, but can't you see? And so, even though your goal, in one sense, is very similar, the differences in it pull you apart.
1: And
0: that's what happens. That's what happens. That's why, and Amber and I were talking about this just the other day. If you look at the research about divorce among uh, people with children with, with medical problems, for example it really comes back not to what the medical problem is, but to whether their aspirations are pulling them apart or pulling them together. I mean, you can see that, right? I,
1: I see it. I mean, I'm I'm getting teary just thinking about it because that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what it was for this couple that I was recently talking to. Mm-hmm. But they, they didn't see that because they're in the middle of it.
1: Right, you're in the, in the eye of the storm, absolutely. Yeah,
0: what's the old phrase? Uh, it's hard to remember your goal is to drain the swamp when you're up to your keister. <laughs> a keister and alligators. I almost said the other word there. When you're in the middle of things, it's a little harder to do this. All right. But, but that also becomes part of love because if you think about it, the the commitment, okay, we got this commitment thing over here. And then we have the passion over here, which is the share life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that passion, that passion can be uh, drained, if you will, since we've already used that word, if the passion actually becomes stronger towards something else, like, my son, right. my son has his liver disease. And it, and so this passion can somehow decrease Absolutely. because of the passion toward that. And then the intimacy and, and Amber's already said this, I'm just reiterating it and repackaging it a little bit is that this openness, transparency, vulnerability, he feels like I'm not being heard. Now, part of that is explainable about what I just talked about. You know, you're, you're going like this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so after a while, it's just like, because you see, when I first heard of your story and, and first began to know who you are, uh, I don't unfortunately get to know all the stories of all the people that contact us because right. thousands There's of people so contact earth, yeah. us. Um, but since you were calling Johnny every week, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, guilty, guilty
0: <laughs> because Johnny would come talk about you and, and I don't always get the privilege of hearing the stories. And I remember thinking, Oh, How can he, if he loves his son, leave you? Mm. But it really wasn't about not loving his son. It was about, I can't do this, right?
1: Absolutely. And he actually, I do have to insert in there that he, for a year, was saying, I'm making this decision because I love our children. I don't want them growing up in a home with this dynamic where there's this much contempt and frustration um, and, and lack of healthy coping mechanisms. He thought he was giving his children a gift.
0: Okay. And, and I know John Lewis, not, not as well as I know you, but right. I know John Lewis. And so I won't, I won't say that he didn't. We both know sometimes we hear that from people that use that as an excuse. Oh, but for what? John Lewis, I can see that as actually being the way he actually thought.
1: Yeah, no, it really was.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you're going to love, if we come back to this drink, and, and thank you for being open and transparent about that story, by the way. Well,
1: I, I don't mind doing that. Um, it, I feel comfortable talking about it, but it, my story honestly represents so many more people out there. The details may be a little different um, the the city or the names of the players involved, but there's so many people out there who have a story just like mine. And so I don't want somebody to feel like they aren't heard or they're not mm-hmm. their life isn't mirrored because it's so so many people out there watching even right now you're hungry for a story that mirrors yours mm-hmm. um, and it's already an isolating situation and then to not hear a story where they're maybe was a reconciliation. Um, so Mm -hmm. I, so I'm glad I had the opportunity to share this with you.
0: Good. Now let's go back to the kind of love you experienced during this. Mm -hmm. Okay. As we said, consummate love has to do with commitment, intimacy, and passion. You were committed. Absolutely. Probably more
1: than I had ever been in my marriage. I, unfortunately it took John Lewis leaving for me to realize what I, what I was losing the, the value of my family that I kind of really taken for granted. I'd taken John Lewis for granted and I, I just saw the value in him.
0: So it wasn't like I'm desperate. You've got to come back and help me with our six son. No,
1: no, it was not that
0: <laughs> it was commitment to the fact yeah.
1: of loving him. Absolutely. That
0: kind of commitment. Absolutely. Now think about this for a minute. As you can see, Amber's a, a, a beautiful woman. If she had wanted male attention, if she said, you know, okay, hit the road Jack and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. <laughs> A, a pretty woman like this, who's extremely intelligent, great personality. You see all these things could have gotten that attention. If she wanted, probably got that attention. Even if you didn't want, whether you saw it or not probably was happening. Mm. And, and sometimes people who are in that kind of duress, like, but I'm also experiencing this great pain from, from the fact that I want my son to be well. Mm. Uh, I've been abandoned by the man that I love. My son is in pain. That's when sometimes somebody walks in uh, at the right place at the right time. Right, and kind of
1: sweeps you off your feet. Mm-hmm.
0: Again. Because it's like somebody needs to take care of me.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, did anybody try?
1: No, and and, and I can't even say somebody tried. My blinders were just so. And there's full my on. point. I would have never even.
0: With your personality, your looks, my guess is people tried, but but Amber was so committed. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously you were trying to do the intimacy wrong during that period of time Very because wrong. your intimacy was, I'm just going to keep talking and saying and doing if and doing just say it enough, if
1: mm-hmm. I say it for the 77th time, I know he'll get it this time. Right. Yes.
0: But it doesn't mean that you didn't feel intimacy. So you still felt commitment. You felt, right. felt intimacy. And, and of course your passion now uh, is more about, I want to share life with this man. I don't want him off sharing life with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I want him with me. And so that was... Consummate love. Yes. Even if you were displaying it incorrectly.
1: Correct. All
0: right. That was consummate love. Ultimately, John Lewis starts coming back toward that with you.
1: Slowly, S- very slowly. But yes, he did.
0: Yeah. And that's the sad thing. You know, if we could just divine design, implement, and develop that pill. <laughs> <laughs> our nonprofit would have no financial troubles ever yeah, with anything absolutely. we could do all the things we need to do in the world. Uh, but you say, why? Well, because that's what people want. They want a pill, yeah. make my husband, make my wife feel all those three things toward me. Well, first of all, we can't. Secondly, if we could make them, we wouldn't, we wouldn't make them. You understand? This is something that people have to choose for themselves. And if somebody else tries to make them and yet all the time, even in our workshop, somebody will say, well, you tell him, will you tell her? No, I won't. <laughs> I won't do that. No, it has to be his or her choice. It is something you can develop into if you have the understanding and the patience, like Amber just said, it is not the pill. It doesn't happen instantly. It is a process. Now because of the fact that you cannot change your husband, you cannot change your wife. Then the process actually starts with you, changing you. That's where it comes into. And and the good news is that if you understand, okay, the kind of love we're talking about, because we could have so many different descriptors of love, but the kind of love we're talking about, what we'll just call Sternberg love for the time being commitment, intimacy and passion. Okay. So I need to be committed to this relationship and examine that intimacy I, to allow the other person particularly, because if I feel I can be open and transparent and vulnerable, great. You feel love, but if he or she's going to feel love toward you, then you're going to have to make it possible for him or her to be able to open and transparent and vulnerable and feel heard and all those kinds of things. And so if you understand love from what we're talking about, then it's the kind of love you give and it's the kind of love you expect. So let's go back to the young lady that learned early in life. Well, the way I'm loved is if I'm sexual. How would understanding this concept change her approach to love if she got it?
1: <sighs>
0: These are the questions I love throwing at Kimberly.
1: I, I know. Well, I have mean, you ever
0: seen those expressions? she, she gives me sometimes <laughs> Every Monday I see them Every
1: Monday I take a break and I watch. Um, well first of all, I mean it would it would she would realize what she can control. There's certain things that you can' control and controls not necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it's the what the emphasis that you put on. So she's been putting emphasis on her sexuality
0: So which would fall under the passion side right okay
1: But if she's putting focus of con- sorry, control back on herself of mm-hmm. how she's conveying herself, conducting. herself, And that
0: without the intimacy, passion is, is pretty unfulfilling. Right. Okay. So then rather than trying to attract a man by sex and this particular hypothetical woman we've created, right. rather than trying to create a man, uh, entice a man and, and maintain a relationship through sex, you understand that it's a part of a relationship without a doubt. But this is just as important, if not more yeah. so, and this is just as important, if not more so, and so she can actually change her concept of herself. Like it, it I don't have to be a sex pot. No, it's all about this meaningful, deep relationship.
1: Absolutely. Now, I,
0: if this sounds sexist, I don't mean it to. It's just that I've interacted with more women who felt they had to use sex to develop and maintain a relationship than men. Okay. What kind of things have you seen men do? It's like, I've got to do this to develop and maintain a relationship.
1: What have I seen or heard? Mm -hmm. Well, I think for me, I haven't necessarily realized it as a gender based on gender, but it's strictly just getting them to, for their spouse to hear them, to be, to, for them to be loved. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And that's good. Pardon me, because I was kind of going to a different direction and I didn't make it very clear. My fault. No, no, no. It's my fault. I did not make it clear. Like, like sometimes a woman might use sex to try to do that because right. she's concentrating on this. Okay. Sometimes a guy will try to create the passion by demonstrating his manliness.
1: Yes, I, right, sorry, when you clarified, okay. I realized. Look, so look
0: how macho I am.
1: Macho, or even his profession of how successful he is.
0: There you go, which is a way in our culture
1: Absolutely. of
0: demonstrating macho. Yeah. And it's like, can't you see? Can't you see? Yeah. But it's really about all of Absolutely. these, all
1: these points.
0: things. Okay. Next so dog. forgive me that I didn't communicate well on that. Sometimes I don't.
1: Well, I'm also not a good listener. My husband would <laughs> likes to remind me of that from time to time. So.
0: One of our counselor friends has a sign in her office that says, My wife says I never listen. At least I think that's what she said.
1: <laughs> yes, of. that is me as well.
0: Okay. Anything else from our group over here yeah, that we, we want to Yeah, We actually re- have some really
1: good questions if you don't mind. If sure. We could touch please for go ahead. Because
0: we're running out of time here. Mm-hmm. Fair
1: enough. Okay. So somebody wrote in and saying that um, that. Uh, her husband is giving up the parental rights to their son and does not believe um, that he would really care making their son an emphasis is is important. So what do you suggest she does to help um, making sure that he's happy in the long run?
0: He being whom? The son or the husband?
1: She says um, giving up our son is not going to make him happy in the long run.
0: It's not, but how is she going to convince him of that? That's why she's asking you, Joe, yeah. you see, I, I wish again, there were some magic pill or some magic phrase, some magic words. Every once in a while, it's pretty rare. Cause I don't have time. I'll be surfing the internet, just looking at what people are offering to help marriages and I'll run across some alleged guru selling some kind of a tape set, for example, digitally download something. And I'll tell you the magic words to say that'll make your husband or wife come back tell you how sorry he is and be with you forever and want to have sex with you every day for the rest of your lives. And I look at that and go Charlton fraud. How how can you sleep (laughs) at night when you do that kind of stuff? And so there are enough people out there making it sound like that. If you just know what to do or what to say, you can actually do this. What's going on here is much deeper than you think you can handle. If he's willing to give up his parental rights, if, did he, did she say more about it? Like what he felt about the son thought about the son?
1: He's simply, I, I am familiar with the story. I've spoken with her in the past and all she clarified was that he has given up his parental rights and that's, that's all I know yeah. about the situation. It's so tragic.
0: And, and when you say, I think in the long run that he's not going to be happy with that, that's probably true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if, if he has started focusing on something else altogether, um, it may take him a while to realize that you see, there's a general principle of life, which says that people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. You know, it applies to all kinds of, it applies to all kinds of things. Um, uh, I have actually never seen that fail. I can't say that it's true hundred percent of the time, but I've never seen it fail that people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. So think about it in terms of a man now giving up parental rights to his son. I'm giving up what I have because I think what I'm going to is better you say, what would that be? I don't know the story. So let me give you some examples, but some possibilities, the lifestyle I want to live won't work and me. It'd be a dad at home at the same time or a dad in connection with my son at the same time, even if I live someplace else. And so I'm going to go live this lifestyle. I'm giving this up because I can't do both. And I see the lifestyle is more important to me than my son. There actually can be a flip side. It's still the same principle, but a flip side of the principle, which is, I think I'm such a bad man. And you're going to be such a bad influence on that boy that it's better for me to go do something else. It's still, I'm giving up what I have because I think something else is better, but this time it's better that i not be in his life because I think I'm going to be damaging to him. Now there's probably a thousand different things in between those two and I don't know this story, so I don't know what it is, but there's nothing you can say or do to make him think differently. Now you can offer things like, would you like to see some of the research about how this is going to affect your boy? But if he's chosen another the lifestyle, which is more important to him than the boy, that Something. research won't matter.
1: Absolutely. It won't
0: matter. But on the other hand, if it was that flip side where it's like, I'm so afraid I'll be a bad guy that I'm going to hurt my son. Then actually that research, if he would read it might, might turn him around. Absolutely. It all comes back to whatever situation that they're in. Um, unfortunately, you can't, do anything about it. Now, if you think it's that I'm just that bad, bad guy, you can offer, Hey, uh, we can call uh, Ember over at uh, marriage helper and she can uh, get some research from Dr. Beam and send it back to you. We actually have a crew. And one of our interns is actually here in in the studio with us today. And uh, they spent all summer working through, uh, her name's Hannah Jones. Hi Hannah over there. (laughs) They actually, she and, and the other interns who are all bright, You have to have a straight A average to be one of my interns. I am serious. I mean, we only let bright people in here. That's why you're sitting there.
1: That's the only reason why I'm sitting in here
0: (laughs) is that, is that they went through over 300 scholarly articles this summer Mm -hmm. about the effect that divorce has over on, on kids. And so if you want information, Oh my goodness, we've got this information, but if he's not willing to listen to that, there's nothing you can do.
1: Absolutely, and again to reiterate, if y'all, if some of y'all out there want some of that information, um, the client relations representatives, we have some of that, and just give us a call, and we're happy to forward that on to you. Um, we did have one more question that I wanted to read. Sure. We have okay. a second. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody wrote that husband feels like he is incapable of loving her right now, and that she doesn't know if there's help and if she should wait it out and wait for for this love that he thinks that he needs to have to return, or what does she just give up right now?
0: Okay. He said, I'm incapable of loving you. Is that what I heard?
1: The husband feels like he is incapable of
0: loving her. You see, there's just, as you know, Amber, there's so many variables here that we don't don't know. Therefore Mm -hmm. it's hard to talk about. Does that mean that he feels like he's in love with somebody else instead? Even if you, and I'm not trying to put doubt in your mind, so forgive me. I'm not trying to plant seeds of doubt in discord, but if you know that he's, feeling that he's in love with somebody else, then that becomes a factor. Or if he's in love with somebody else and you don't know, I hate saying that because it sounds like I'm trying to scare you and I don't want to do that. That's a factor. If it's the fact that he's doing something he feels terribly guilty about, let's say, I'm not saying your husband, I'm speaking in general principles or general ideas here. let's say that he's going out and seeing prostitutes and now he's just eaten up with guilt and can't handle it anymore. That could be a factor. Or he's got some kind of venereal disease. That could be a factor. Or believe it or not, I've actually seen it this way. He's actually been seeing his doctor and you don't know about it. It's not a venereal disease, but it's a serious disease. And he thinks he's going to die. And he actually thinks getting away from you gives you less pain. Mm. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, and I'm not trying to plant ideas in your head because I have no idea what it is, but there's so many different reasons for that. But you still come back to the same solution. If you're committed to trying to make this relationship work, then we have this thing called the love path. We don't recommend that people give up, but it's your choice. You do understand that you can choose to say I'm moving on. That is your choice. But if you still love this guy, the fact that he's telling you he's incapable of loving you does not mean that's what he's going to feel next week, next month or next year. There are things you can do not to change him, but to change you that create the likelihood. Because if we go back to the principle I talked about just a couple of minutes ago, if people don't leave what they have, unless they believe what they are going to is better. What Amber did and did brilliantly by the way. And so many other people have done is that they become the better.
1: Absolutely. And that's what I love about marriage helpers approach. And I I know I'm kind of watering it down, um, but so many people call in and I'm talking to every single day and they're saying, well, there's either an affair or I don't know if there's an affair or I was actually the controlling spouse and I know I pushed them out the door. They are accountable. It doesn't necessarily matter what got you to that point. Um, All that matters is what you, you, the individual do going forward. And so that is why I'm so grateful for the love path and and all the content that was provided to me, just like we afford it to y'all. Because it didn't matter what had gotten us to that point in time. The only thing that I knew I needed to do was what you equipped me with.
0: And it's amazing because it works.
1: Yes. And it takes the guesswork out. There's so many variables and I know there's so much chaos going on um, with their attorneys or your spouse is threatening to leave or they're going to tell the children. Um, we're here to take the chaos, the, the guesswork out.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm that brilliant. Trust me. It's not, <laughs> it's a lot of, uh, learning the hard way, hmm. it's a lot of reading and some tremendous research. I mean, if you go out and earn a PhD and look at all the stuff you have to read. Plus, and and if you're not religious, forgive me if this sounds offensive. I'm quite convinced God was in the picture. One of my uh, psychiatrist friends said, "Joe, I know that God gave this to you." And I said, "Really? How do you know?" And he said, "Because you're just not that smart." <laughs> so <laughs> I believe that I do believe that God was involved. As Dan Cathy said to me, that Dan's the CEO of Chick Fil A. He said to me one time a few years ago, he said, "I am a recipe of a. I, I am, I'm sorry. He said, I am a steward of a recipe that God gave my dad." Hmm. And I think that's what we are. We're a steward of a recipe and this recipe, not perfect, but it works. And that's what Amber was saying. We don't beat you up for what you've done in the past. There's hope, but it works with you working on you. So Jesse, if we put up a telephone number and all that kind of stuff for people to call, if they want to talk to one of our client representatives of which Amber is one, then you call that number and our client reps would be happy to talk to you about various resources that we have.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and it's so important that you call in, um, it's email is just not the best medium. So, you know, sometimes we'll email back and forth and get a few details, but once we we talk on the phone, it really helps us understand what resources we can be sending to you and how we can specifically be helping you.
0: Yeah. Just put it this way. Sometimes you don't call, at least I'm talking about me. Sometimes I won't call a place because I think, Oh my goodness, they're going to try to sell me something or all that kind of stuff. But you do know that that when you're texting, whether you're typing into an email or texting into a phone, uh, you just cannot communicate as effectively. Our folks are like this. You've seen a representative here of what uh, the people that work here are like, and, and they're not going to try to sell you anything. They're going to try to help you find the best resource for you and they're going to care. They really do genuinely care about you.
1: Just like Johnny did. You know, we, we've been joking, but it's kind of the truth that I called in almost every week, sometimes a couple of times a week. And he wasn't selling me anything, but he was equipping me and directing me to what was on Marriage Helper's website and the Facebook page. And those were the things that got me to the next day or to the next week um, or to, to navigate the next situation. Mm-hmm. And so... We really are here to walk this out alongside you. Every time y'all call in, I always promise you, I, I personally can't fix your marriage. You don't want me fixing your marriage, but um, that's we'll leave it up to Dr. Beam and anybody no, else. I can't
0: fix it either, but you can. You can. <laughs> that's true. And that's we'll show true. you how.
1: That's true. Uh, but we will walk this out alongside you and help you navigate this.
0: I, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Kimberly will be back next Monday. She's off on vacation. She'll be all tanned and Bronced, happy and relaxed, yes. all that kind of stuff. Uh, one day, one day she's actually going to let me go on vacation. I know it's going to happen. I just hold out hope that someday, someday.
1: I'll put in a good word for you. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Amber. Okay. I appreciate that. This is Amber Nickel. I'm Dr. Joe beam. We have really enjoyed visiting with you today. Call us. We'd love to help.